0: Thank you.
1: Human wisdom's sleeping high, but I will boast it-
2: This is the first Sunday of the Advent season and each Sunday there's going to be a different ministry to explain what that ministry is and then light the candle so the ministry that we have is called basis and it's a uh, part of hand evangelism which many of you are, know what that's about um, it's a compassion ministry it's three parts to that uh, disabilities training and equipping churches, and grief. And our ministry is BASIS, which stands for Brothers and Sisters in Service and Support. Um, It was started in November 2018 by Nancy Heckman, my wife, and myself, where people come to our home um, to share. uh, It's a ministry for people who have lost a child, uh, for grandparents and parents alike. And we start our meetings off with uh, scripture or devotion, somehow like that. And then as the discussion goes on, we talk about things like grief, anger, how to handle the holidays, different topics like that, and which everybody goes through. And um, we, I, can, I can speak for Nancy and my wife and myself, that we, we have been blessed that we've been able to share this with other people. And it, it's very nice that this is a first Sunday, because we also show the teachings of Jesus, his compassion, his love, and his joy, and his hope.
0: Scripture is from Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 2, and then 6 through 7. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders.
3: And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace.
1: the past to to the the day. day My
4: children draw near. The day is coming when the child will come again, Jesus clothed in glory, coming in the clouds, putting an end to death and sin. I keep meditating on the glorious vision of Job when he prophetically spoke of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the midst of his desperation. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. How my heart yearns within me. Now here we are 2,000 years after Jesus came to earth, lived, died, was resurrected to life, and return to the father to prepare for us in a lyric by evan wickham we continue that longing to see jesus here is your bride we are standing here together ready to rise and be with you forever with love in our eyes we will meet in the sky jesus come please come just like job may we see you in our flesh for you O lord Are our freedom from our fears. You are our rest, our strength, our hope, our desire and joy. Come, our long expected Jesus. Come. you may be seated. Please join me in prayer. Father, as we take time to reflect on the Advent season in the coming days, may we not lose focus on the greatest gift given to us, your Son, who came to seek and to save the lost. While many things look different this season, your love is unchanging and your guidance in our lives unfailing. Help us to seek your direction in our lives and take advantage of the ways that we can share your light and hope with others that they may see you through us. Father, there are several people who are in need of your care. Mike Ranson has been in the hospital for several days with COVID-19 and heart issues. We pray that you would bring him comfort and healing, that he would be able to come home soon. For Dave Hurst's cousin Steve, who is also in the ICU with COVID-19, we pray that he would be healed and restored to full health. Father, we pray for Jacob Rubaker, who is preparing to go to Philadelphia for open heart surgery on Tuesday. We pray that you would guide and direct the surgeon's hands, that the procedure would be a complete success. Father, this surgery will be hard on Doug, Brenda, and the entire family, as only one parent will be allowed to be there during the surgery and will have to leave soon after. I pray that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding and comfort them in their waiting. Father, it's been a blessing that Terry and James were able to come home and spend time with family. As they look to go back overseas so James can return to teaching, we pray that you would go before them and put all the details in order and that you would keep them healthy so they're able to travel. Jim and Emily Gordley are praising the Lord for the creative ways that they're able to teach God's word even through the pandemic. We pray that you would continue to bless their ministry and that they would continue to see growth in the congregation. For Bill and Christy Campbell in Southeast Paris, Lord, we are thankful that they are seeing your hand at work in the lives of those who are attending their Zoom Bible study. We pray that they would continue to seek you and grow in a deeper relationship with you. Father, we're thankful for the many ways that you've continued to bless this church and the tools you provide us, that even in these times when we cannot be physically together, you have provided us with a way to still gather on Sunday morning as one body of believers. Father, we pray that you would continue to guide and direct the leaders of this church, that we would stand as a light on the hill, a beacon of hope pouring toward your everlasting love. Amen. You rise and join us in singing God rest ye merry gentlemen
1: let nothing you dismay remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas day to save us all from Satan's power We were gone astray. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy, comfort and joy. Oh, tidings. Things are the same.
4: Seated.
3: Well, good morning. morning. Certainly is good to be able to greet you in our Savior's name, and uh, we also are glad to be able to see all those folks on Zoom. We have devised the new system where you not only see us. But we see you, like those slippers you have on this morning. <laughs> Just really nice. Just really nice. But it's good to greet you in our Savior's name. I uh, am so glad that we have the opportunity to worship, and it's good to be able to do that uh, in a physical way here at the church, but it's also uh, great that there are ways that we can worship Him remotely. And uh, honestly, I uh, have talked to several folks uh, that are hunting and uh, they're at their, their cabins and uh, they're going to be in our service. So that's kind of neat to have that opportunity to do that. And uh, but before we get into the word of God, let's just pray together. Father, thank you for the fact that we can sing a song that talks about Emmanuel, God with us. Too many times we have this uh, notion that we're, we're on our own, that uh, we have to handle things, that God can't handle things. How foolish that is. God is in control. God is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He stands with us in our present. He has been with us in our past, and he will walk with us in our future. And we are encouraged by that. Lord, we we think of folks who have experienced the death of loved ones uh, this past week. And we pray that you would bring comfort and blessing to them. It's good to be able to sing songs in this Christmas season that talk about comfort and joy. Because we know that, that, that you have come, that we might have life, and that we might have it more abundantly. And so, Lord, now we ask that you would be our teacher, that you would lead us, guide us into truth. And then, Lord, we not only want to be led into truth, but we want to apply the truth. We want to be hearers of the word, and we want to be doers of it also. So guide and direct our time together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I wonder if uh, you've had the attitude, as I have, that a lot of things have happened this past year that's really been poor timing. I mean, you think about it, poor timing. I mean, all of the, the, the planning that went into, I was thinking for a church, vacation Bible school, and then have to do it all remote. Or think of uh, some of the plans that you've had, that all of a sudden you planned them and COVID undid them. Interesting, isn't it? I was uh, thinking about this in, in a personal way about the poor timing of some of the things that the pandemic has has created. You know, plans have changed. A lot of things I was planning this year didn't happen, and I'm sure that that's the truth with you, because we can we can plan things, but we have no idea whether those plans are going to come to pass. For example, uh, this was our our 50th wedding anniversary. Big plans. Not. Uh, This was our oldest granddaughter's graduation from high school, and we were planning on going to that, and then she was going to be graduating from college with an associate's degree at the same time, and we were planning on going to that. Not. I I think of other things. This was supposed to be the golden anniversary of my graduating class from college, from Philadelphia College of what? I mean, Bible. And... uh, and then uh, now Karen University, that was all planned, not, Do you, you get the theme, what's going on? And, the, and then poor timing in terms of the fact that Doris, who is always healthy, all of a sudden she gets bit by a dog in February and has to go to the hospital in the midst of all the COVID stuff. And then she had another health issue going on. Uh, poor timing. And you could go on and on. And that, that's just my story. And I think of the multiple stories of people within this congregation who are here present or those that are listening. And you would say a lot of the things that have happened this year, it's just poor timing. And, and that's the way we sometimes look at life. Uh, and I, I think that's why our timing is just off a bit. I, I think we're a lot like Garfield. You know, Garfield, he, he sort of has this idea that his timing is totally off. Everything is sort of munched together. And, and that's the way it is. And uh, I, I think sometimes we, we have that attitude. You know, Timing's off this year. It's not going the way we had planned. And I think that that's why some people are referring to this merging of seasons as, Hallow thanks, You know, you sort of have punched everything together. And uh, as this cartoon says, I liked it better when holidays came one at a time. But in my neighborhood, in Mannheim Township, which is a strange township anyway, they, uh, they had an interesting thing. They were encouraging people to put up Christmas lights in July. And so people actually did that. And so now we, uh, you know, we look at this and everything just gets munched together. But by the way, this really isn't a new thing people just don't have a sense of time anymore because they have this idea that time is chaotic and in our lives even if it wasn't coronavirus guess what time is still chaotic we plan but God disposes we we, we propose and God says really really but then he comes in with a perfect plan. The problem is, we don't see the chaos as part of God's perfect plan. We only see the chaos. You know, there's a, there's a, a phrase that was coined, actually, many years ago. And it was, the, the coin was Christmas creep. And actually, the Christmas creep was, uh, was talking about the marketing of Christmas earlier and earlier And and probably it's happening for many reasons. One of them, very honestly, is strategic marketing. Stores are tending to to realize that most of their income uh, in retail really comes in that last quarter. And so this is why you have this big push. Well, the attitude is, well, if it's good enough to push it in December, let's push it in November. Well, let's push it in October. And you see what happens? It's a creep. It's this idea, it's, a, it's strategic marketing. But then it's also the issue of, I think, because of competition, because uh, the marketers are competing with one another. So if Walmart uh, one year puts on a display in November and has his, their stores open in November, guess what's gonna happen with Target the next year? They're gonna do that in October. And it keeps going back and back. And so, therefore, we have this idea of what they call Christmas creep. And then I think another thing has happened this year, which is kind of interesting. And it's mainly, I think, because of of the COVID uncertainties. There are other reasons why people are rushing Christmas season. For example, it's the uncertainty of life. You know, it was amazing to me that when they said, well, a second wave is coming, all of a sudden all the toilet paper is gone you know, it hadn't even gotten here, but the toilet paper's gone, and all the other things gone, and it's the uncertainty. Uh, you, you know, there are, people are afraid of lockdown. People are afraid that items will be scarce. Keep, people are comforted by spending. Now, my wife would say, Bob, you're not comforted when I spend, and that's probably true, because <laughs> I don't get any comfort out of spending. Uh, but, but, you know, that's sort of the attitude that we somehow have. As a matter of fact, People are so uncertain this year, it's interesting, that a, a USA Today reported in the end of October that 25% of the consumers have already completed their Christmas holiday shopping for the year. I'm saying, really? I didn't know Christmas Eve was already here. Isn't that when you do your shopping? You know, That's when the best sales are. A lending tree point out the fact that one in four Americans finished their holiday shopping by the first week of October amazing. And that's because of this uncertainty of life. And, and I also think that this push for Christmas being so early is because people just get a sense of comfort out of Christmas. People would rather think about Christmas than COVID. And maybe that explains why Hallmark Channel and Hallmark Movies and Mysteries aired more than 250 Christmas movies in July. You know, really? you know, we're sweating to death and we're, we're thinking about Christmas movies in July. But you, they were saying, people get a lot of comfort about thinking about Christmas. But I'm thinking, are they thinking of the real purpose and function of Christmas? Or are they thinking of something sentimental, not strategic? I want to tell you, in the mind of God, Christmas was strategic. God had a plan. And, and I think, think sometimes maybe we question the timing of Christmas in our contemporary chaotic COVID culture, but as far as God is concerned, his timing for Christmas was perfect. He, you know, God was, his timing was not subject to the whims of people. God's timing for Christmas was not the convenience of merchandisers. God's uh, plan for Christmas was perfect it, it, in the chaos of the world in which Jesus came. God's timing was perfect. Christmas was not early, it wasn't late, and it wasn't variable. God's timing was perfect. His preparations for the incarnation of Christ were perfect. His plans for Christmas were not subject to government mandates or random viruses. God's mission was designed to invade the world with his love. And he expressed it in his son, Jesus Christ, to produce life. to to give us life more abundantly. It was right on time, and God's timing was perfect. You see, this is what I discern from the scriptures, because as I have there uh, a, a focus today, is God's purpose and plans are perfectly carried out to meet our greatest needs. Please keep that in mind, because some of you are perhaps like me, you know, you, you feel like the timing's off this year. Things aren't the way they should be. And we sort of give ourselves over to some idea that everything's in chaos. You know, and, and I, I think as I put in this, the sermon notes, the introduction there, you know, you, you made plans to do something special and then all the plans unraveled due to the crazy events that have occurred this year. How many have said... Things are out of control. Let me tell you, as soon as I say that, things are out of control, all of a sudden I realize, you know what I'm really saying? Things are out of my control. That's really the issue. And let me me be very kind to you and to me. Things are never in our control. They never were. They never will be but they're in God's control. And that's great news. And this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd like us to focus our attention upon God's preparation to send to earth a Prince of Peace. As we do so, we're going to be amazed at the amount of preparation in God's perfect timing that involved in God's mission of mercy and peace. And it's outlined for us in just two verses, two verses in Scripture that I'd like to really focus our attention upon. And it's found in the book of Galatians chapter 4, and let me read just a few verses there, beginning at verse 4, Galatians 4, 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, and, be, and because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ, the Word of God. This uh, particular passage of Scripture is from a letter that was written to the church of Galatia or the churches of the, that region. And as it was written there, there was a problem. Because you see, things are bad. They were under pressure, and they were thinking of going back to, you know, what they had to to get out of some of this pressure, because they were saying, this is really poor timing to to embrace this this idea of, of God coming in the flesh, and that we are to be saved by faith alone, and so some of them were wavering in their faith, and so Paul is writing this letter to conform their thinking to the truth. And the truth is that God is in control and that God has worked out his perfect plan. There's not going to be a plan B because God has only one plan and it's a perfect plan. And God has brought that plan into being on planet earth. And so this morning, what I'd like to do is I'd I like to just make several observations, actually three observations, because I think it'll help us to understand that God's purposes and plans are perfectly carried out to meet our greatest needs. And so if you want to take your Bible and if you want to take uh, notes, there are those in the bulletin for those that are here Uh, physically in our church, and for those that are online, I think you can pick up uh, those notes uh, as you go online. Well, let me give you the first observation. The first observation is perfect uh, uh, timing involved perfect preparation. The when the Prince of Peace would come. And notice that phrase in verse 4. It says, when the fullness of time had come. Now, From a human perspective, this is poor timing. The the coming of Christ is just really poor timing, you know, from a human perspective. Um, Politically, it was a, a, a time of terrible tyranny. You think politics are complicated today in the United States. Got news for you. Politics was beyond comprehension in the time when Christ came. For instance... Uh, Caesar Augustus ruled the Roman Empire. It tells us that in Luke chapter 2, verse 1. He was the, the grand-nephew of Julius Caesar. He was named Octavius, actually. But after a brutal power struggle, his name was he was named by the Roman Senate, Rome's first emperor, and they honored him with the title Augustus. And the, the, the word Augustus actually means exalted one. And by the way, that was a, 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 a term of divinity, So he was making some claims of being God, to be in control of things. And the Republican government was abolished by Caesar Augustus, which is the the name he chose to use. And he became the supreme military ruler over the entire Roman Empire. And he delegated individuals because the Roman Empire was massive. He delegated individuals to govern his vast empire. And one of the people that he chose to govern a particular part of his empire was a man named Herod, who was ruling in Palestine. You see him described in Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1. Wait a minute. These aren't the best guys for uh, the the king of kings to come under. Is this good timing? We have Caesar Augustus and, and now Herod. Well, just think a little bit about Herod. Now, he was called Herod the Great. Now he called himself that, by the way. Um, he, was, he was this great guy, he thought. He was appointed ruler over uh, Judea and Galilee. By the way, that wasn't the prime uh, assignment area. But, but he was the great. and he was known for his great public works. He, he for example, he built a temple to try to endear himself to the, the Jewish people of that region. But he was also known for his great cruelty. One historian put it this way, the history of the rise of Herod's kingdom is a drama of extraordinary moves of political chicanery accompanied by a succession of atrocities, crimes arising from jealousy, mostly within Herod's own heart and against his own family. He was was an interesting individual. Outwardly, he kept the Mosaic law. He knew the law. And he taxed the Jews heavily. Yeah, he wanted to have a temple, but they were going to pay for it. And, and he had 10 wives. Really? And one person said it was safer to be Herod's dog than a member of Herod's family. For example, he murdered his, one of his wives, her grandfather, her brother, and three sons because he was jealous of their popularity. Not a nice guy. And not only that... But summarizing his life, another historian put it this way, his reign was one succession of monstrous crimes until his death. And it was not a good time politically, you know, for Jesus Christ. So many times we focus upon what we can see. We focus upon politics. We focus upon government. Wrong focus. The right focus is focus upon the king of kings and Lord of Lords, who is reigning supreme right now in this world. And it's important to keep that in mind. And, and not only humanly uh, was this a poor timing politically, but socially. An awkward situation. You remember the status of Mary and Joseph? They were engaged, but they weren't married. And yet God is going to use this woman to bring the Son of God, on the planet Earth. And socially, eh, a little awkward. Physically, an inconvenient time. Mary and Joseph were not in their hometown. Remember? Under the political rule, they had to go and be registered for the taxation. You find that for you in, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Now, we've all read stories of babies that are born in Unusual places, police cars, elevators, you know, all of these different places. uh, You know, you well, okay, how about about being hundreds of miles away from home and being born and having to place the baby in a manger? Hmm. You know, again, it looks like poor timing, humanly, politically, socially, physically, and spiritually. This wasn't a great time for... for, It wasn't a, a great... Uh, welcoming party, you know, great spiritual climate. There wasn't a revival that was going on in the, in the nation of Israel. As a matter of fact, it was really in decline. We find out that there were two major groups that were ruling at this time. Uh, much of the Greco-Roman culture had seeped into one particular party, And that was the Sadducees. And they were the ones that neutralized Scripture. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They were basically secularists. That was one party. The other party, the other extreme, they were the fundamentalists. They were the Pharisees. They were ultra fundamental. They marginalized Scripture. And they created their own system as to how people should live. Not living according to Scripture, but living according to tradition. They even wrote their own traditions down. They made it into what is called the Mishnah. And the Mishnah was basically more important than Scripture. Of course, that never happens to us in our day, does it? Our traditions never are exceeding Scripture, are they? Or are they? But it's interesting that you find out from a humor perspective, I guess we would say, yeah, this is poor timing. You know, when you think of all these things, the political situation, the social situation, the physical situation, the spiritual situation. But from a divine perspective, do you see what Paul writes? From a divine perspective, he says, it was the fullness of time. That's an interesting Greek word that's used there. The the word that's used there literally has the idea it is filled up time. There's nothing more that needs to be done. It's all there. How many of you have ever been pulling out of your driveway to go on a vacation? And uh, you know, you're know you just backing out of the garage or wherever you keep your car. And, and uh, dad sort of looks over in the back seat and he says, you know, are, are, are we all ready? You know? You know, I still do that I, but I don't have to go to the back seat I just say Darce are we ready and Darce said yeah we got it. everything is ready and uh this this uh spring you know I looked over Darce we all ready yep we're ready and so uh took off we got about two blocks away and I forget what it was that we forgot and Darce told me to uh oh we forgot this turned around two blocks came back to the house pulled into the driveway, and Darce we, went in, got the thing that we forgot, and we, we were now all ready. Started back the driveway, went down, just one house, and all of a sudden, I see this lady waving at me, and, and I'm there, what is this? And she, she went, and, and I'm there, what's that about? And, and so I got out of my car, and there were my slippers up on top of the car, <laughs> you know? I, I had now gone two blocks with slippers and the top. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready, but I thought I was. But you see, when God was ready for Jesus to come, it was the fullness of time. He was ready. Perfectly ready. And that's this idea. This time had been declared by the Old Testament writers. In fact, it's interesting that there was a book written some years ago that I would recommend it to you called The Coming Prince by Sir Robert Anderson. And what he did, uh, he also, by the way, had a background in mathematics. He figured out by the description that was written in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27, he figured out the, the timing of when Jesus Christ would have been born. Because it is very specific. The details that were laid out 500 years before Jesus was born. And it's interesting that many people believe that the wise men who had come to seek out Jesus, that were looking for his star, had actually been following the indication that was given by the greatest wise man of Babylon, who was... Daniel, and they read what he had written, figured out the time schedule themselves, connected that with a book of Numbers, chapter 24, verse 17, where it says there, there shall come a star out of Jacob and the scepter shall rise out of Israel. And they made this trip 500 years later because it had been predicted, prophesied and revealed by God. It was perfect timing perfect timing. So it was not only declared by Old Testament uh, writers, but this time was previously fixed by the Father in eternity past, by design and not by chance. So often we think, and I say this myself too, well that was lucky. Really? Or was that by God's sovereign design? You see when things go well, we we say it was lucky when it goes bad, we say, oh, it was poor timing. Interesting. Fixed, not variable. 500 years before Christ was born, it was fixed by God. This is when the King of Kings will be born, will save people from their sin. Many years ago, many, many years ago, uh, we were expecting our second child. And Charlotte was going to be born and The birth date that was given by the doctor was that she would be born on the 13th of September. Now, uh, five months before that, uh, Pastor Creighton, who was the senior pastor of the church where I served, he handed out the preaching schedule for what was going to happen in the months ahead at Calvary Church. I said, okay, and I looked at it and I thought, look at that. I'm gonna be preaching the first time on live on radio on uh, September the 18th. Isn't that great? And, and then I thought, ooh, that's close to when a baby's gonna be born. And so I started telling people around the church, I said, when is, is Charlotte due? I said, well, the doctor says it's September the 15th, but actually it's gonna be on September the 18th. I said, the, the morning I have to preach live on radio, Charlotte's going to be born, or it's not sure, our baby is going to be born. Now, that was back in the time you didn't know the gender. You didn't know anything. and I still don't know anything, but anyway. (laughs) uh, But anyway, so I started saying this. I I mean, I was saying it broadly, you know, for five months, I'm saying. uh, She's going to be born on September the 18th. And then they start saying, is your wife having a C-section? I said, no, no, no. It's going to be the 18th because that's the, the day I am preaching live on the radio first time publicly on the morning service at Calvary Church. I kept saying that, and saying, you know, tongue-in-cheek. Well, the 13th came, no baby. 14th came, no baby. 15th, 16th, 17th. 4.30 in the morning on the 18th, Doris, she shakes me and she says, we got to go to the hospital i said oh doris i said i was only joking all this time says no we've got to go my water is already broken and and so i went through every red light that there was from our house to general hospital got doris to general hospital you know and went to park my car left her off at emergency got upstairs to the waiting room and i announced who i was and she said just a minute." And then she went back into the room and she came back to me. She says, congratulations, you have a daughter. I'm there, oh! That was, by the way, that was fullness of time. God knew when a baby was going to be born. I was guessing. God doesn't guess. In the details of your life, He doesn't guess. Even when those details sometimes are not the details you want. He's never late. He's always on time even when you think things are out of control. Incidentally, I'd like to also add, not from the text, but from the the contextual area of this, this the, from a divine perspective, it was a perfect time, but from a circumstantial perspective, it's perfect timing to spread the good news. Four things stand out to me. The first is that there was a Greek language. There was a language that connected everybody together. That wasn't until the Roman Empire took over. They are all segmented. Remember, at the Tower of Babel, all the languages were spread. But now there's a common language, a trade language, that could express the good news. In terms of transportation, the Roman culture had devised a superior road system. There were connections to the cities. There was mass transportation of that day. They could get to places. The good news not only could communicated verbally, but it could be communicated quickly. And then we find out something else. There was a religious influence in the empire. The Jews were spread out through the empire. There were synagogues all over the Roman empire. And isn't it interesting that when we look at the Apostle Paul, where did he most often go first? To the synagogues. Because there was a God consciousness, and God built upon the Old Testament, and it was as a result of this that there was a spread throughout the empire. And not only that, but there was relative peace. Matter of fact, historians use the the term, there was the, the Roman Pax Romana. There was peace. There was worldwide peace. Relative peace, because... The Romans had conquered all of the known empires of that time. So we look at these things and we say, well, from a human perspective, it was poor timing. But you see, God doesn't count on human perspective. God doesn't run on our time. God runs on his time. He runs on divine standard time. God's preparation for the Prince of Peace involved perfect timing. Not everything that happens in life looks like it's perfect timing from our perspective. But we don't have the perspective that is above time. You remember, the description of God is, He is the Alpha, the Omega. He's above time. He's the beginning and end. And He's everything in between. That's how our lives are being ruled, by God. The blending of all time together, past, present, and future. And when God looks at life, He is fulfilling our, His purposes in our lives in His time. Not our time. You know, and our disappointment so many times, it's because this isn't what we planned. This isn't our time. God says, no, but it's my time. And that's perfect time. There's a story that's told, and I, I assume it's true, I don't have no idea, but there was an ethics professor who was uh, teaching a course, and he wanted to show his class how difficult it is to make ethical decisions. And so he says, I'm gonna tell you a, a story, and you have to, at the end of the story, you have to make a decision as to what you would do. So he presented the class to the following situation, and by the way, it really looked like poor timing. He said, a man had syphilis, his wife had tuberculosis. They had four children. One had already died. Three others were, had what we would often consider terminal illnesses or conditions. And the mother is now pregnant. And he says, What would you recommend? Now, the class debated this, and they were talking about this, and they would do this, and they would do that. And so finally, the, the class voted. And uh, after the debate, the majority determined that the best thing to do would be to abort the child because of poor timing. And the teacher looked at them and said, fine, you've just killed Beethoven. Because that was his background. That was his life situation. You see, I think it's very, very important for you and me to rest by faith in God's timing Even when we don't understand it. So many things have happened in my life, and I'm there. I don't get this. I I just understand. This is poor timing. What are you doing, God? You know, He's not not aggravated because we ask those questions, but He wants us to trust Him that His timing is perfect. There's a a second thing, observation, I want you to, to, to notice here is that. It's perfect timing has involved perfect planning. How would the Prince of Peace come? And again, in verse 4, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, under the law. And by the way, this planning was well, well in advance, as I've already alluded to. There are 71 passages in the Old Testament that relate to Christ's first coming. At least 15 of them are related to his physical birth. I find it very interesting that the disciples on the, uh, on the road to Emmaus, do you remember what Jesus did? He explained to them and talked to them about himself as it was revealed in the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament is pre, pre, pre yeah, pre what? Pre determining and pre showing what God is going to do. And how interesting it is. Just let me give you a couple of illustrations. For example, It spoke about the fact that he was going to be virgin-born. Matthew chapter 1, verse 22. It says, So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. There's the prophet, Isaiah chapter 7. This was presented before he was born. How about his nationality? Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we go back to Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. And it said that through Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And this was coming by the very fact that Jesus was being born of Abraham's household. Or how about the place of birth? In Micah chapter 5, it talks about that. In Matthew chapter 2, we read this. It talks about where he was going to be born. Remember, they, the wise men came and they asked Herod where the king of the Jews was to be born. And he wrote, he says, thus it was written, the, 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 the advisors, the scribes advised Herod, so it is born in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, but you Bethlehem in the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah. I find it fascinating that the religious leaders knew where Jesus was to be born they even declared it to these men who had come from the, the Orient, from the, the region of Babylon, and, and they sent them on, but they didn't go themselves. Because you see, they couldn't believe that that was God's timing, but it was. Or how about the fact that in Matthew chapter 2, it talks about the fact that, th- that the babies would be killed. It, that's exactly what is quoted here in verse 17 of chapter 2. It says, then fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. And it talks about this passage in Jeremiah. You see, God knew the end from the beginning because he's God. But do you understand that even threaded through this, there are hard things that are going on? That are part of God's timing? Or or how about this this last one? That he would be called out of Egypt. Well, how does Jesus get to Egypt? God says, no problem. No problem. I've got this handled. And we find out that uh, this was also spoken of in Matthew chapter 2, verse 15. It says, and actually go back to verse 14. Then he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, out of Egypt I call my son. We could spend the rest of our time just going through verses like this. And all I'm trying to say is, do you understand that this planning was well in advance? God knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly how difficult things would be. He would, I'm, I'm sure that the people in that present situation, Mary and Joseph, were scratching their head. What in the world is God doing? The very same thing I would have said and do say on a regular basis. But he not only planned in advance, but he planned in detail. It says there in Galatians, again, great uh, thought. It says there, who would send? The planning detail. Who would send? God sent forth his son. Literally, by the way, it's interesting. In the Greek language, it means sent out from. That's really what it is. God sent out from. Speaking of himself. The author, God the Father. Why? Because of his great love. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Interesting term. And the activity. Notice what it says there. The author was God. But what did he do? He sent. I think it's interesting. As one person said, one of my prophets it said, It is not difficult to describe the entrance of an ordinary person into the world. Of such, we say they are conceived and born. Such term express origin. It's not easy to describe the entrance of the Son of God into human existence. The New Testament writers had defined terms which would describe not the beginning of personal existence, but the coming into the world of human life on the part of one who is already God and already personally existed. Very seldom do the New Testament writers speak of Christ as having been conceived or born. But they almost exhaust resources of human language in an effort to make emphatic the great fact that he is different from ordinary men as regards to his entrance into human life. Listen to some of the words that are used in Scripture talking about Jesus' coming. He came. He came down. He descended. He came into the world. He was sent. He was manifested. He became poor. He was made lower. A body was prepared for him. He was made flesh. He partook of flesh. He took the form. God was manifested. Isn't it amazing? God was planning in detail. And who would send? And who was sent? It says his son. There's, there's two Greek words that are interesting that are often translated son. huios, which is referred to position, and technon, which is referred to as origin. Jesus never referred to as a child, a technon of God, which, which means he, he, he was never referred to as technon of God. He was always referred to as shuos, which means he was equal with God. And by the way, the Jews understood that. In John chapter 5, verse 18, when Jesus said that and used that term, they tried to stone him because they claimed that he, he was claiming he was God. I find it interesting. There's liberal theologians who says Jesus never claimed to be God. And I'm saying, "Really? Did you ever read the scripture?" Really? And the way he was sent, made of a woman, made under the course of the law, made of a woman points to his humanity, his incarnation. Made under the law points to his nationality. In other words, he was going to be born in the Jewish nation, his identification. God's perfect timing for the Prince of Peace also involved a perfect plan. It's good and right time. Uh, there, it, it, you know, so often we, we come along and we just can't work out our plans. But God provided perfect time for the gospel to enter. And it's an amazing thing to me. An amazing thing. How God has fulfilled the prophetic scriptures. Well, one last thing, and we see this very quickly is that in this passage of Scripture in Galatians, we find out that there's another observation. The perfect timing involved a perfect purpose. You know, why would the Prince of Peace come? Why all this preparation by God? Because he had a perfect purpose in mind. It says there, to redeem us. To redeem us. That may, the word redeem means to pay the price for something, to buy from the slave market, to secure freedom. Freedom. It was accomplished by the death of Christ. In fact, 1 Peter 1 1 says, Not by corruptible things as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without spot or blemish. And the object of this activity, what did he do? He, He redeemed us from the curse of the law. That is, the penalty of sin on our lives. But he just didn't redeem us, but he adopted us. Literally, placing us as sons. As it says there in verse 5. It means conferring the rights and the benefits of a son of full age. No longer under a guardian. We're free from the curse. But we're also welcome to the benefits of being the child of God. You and I don't have to wait to get to heaven to have the benefits of being a child of God. We have those blessings now. Ephesians says that we're blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ Jesus. Now. And so many times we sort of think, well, you know, someday God's going to give us those blessings. I want to tell you, don't wait for the someday, because that day is today. God's preparation for the Prince of Peace had a very specific purpose in mind. That's great truth. One of my favorite verses, and you probably hear it from me many, many times, is John 10.10 says there very, very clearly, I've come that you might have life. That's great. But this is even greater. And that you may have it more abundantly. My question to you this morning is, has the Prince of Peace, has his purpose been realized in your life? Have you accepted him as your Savior? You see, God's perfect plans are perfectly carried out to meet our greatest needs. Have we somehow concluded that our lives are ruled by chance and not design? I want to tell you, too many times that thought comes to me. I use the phrase way too often. Well, what are the chances? Do you ever use that phrase? What are the chances? Well, in one respect, there's no chance. Because God's in control. God knows what he's doing. I recall the words of Max Licato. He says, You aren't an accident. You weren't mass produced. You aren't an assembly line product. You were deliberately planned, specifically gifted, and lovingly positioned on earth by the master craftsman. That's a great encouragement. Really, these things happened to me for a purpose? Absolutely. I also think of the words of a man named uh, Phil Yancey because he, he brings up the point that's interesting. He says, if God has been wise enough to plan perfectly for our eternal life, can't he trust him with all the other aspects of our life? Here's what he said, a God wise enough to create me and the world I live in is wise enough to watch out for me. Right now, there are a lot of people that think that they've got to watch out for their own lives. They're thinking that their lives are uh, ruled by chance. And I want to tell you, they're not ruled by chance. God is in charge. God is doing things perfectly. God is wise enough to create me and the world I live in and wise enough to watch out for me. You are not living your life by chance. Your lives are not that, that kind of design. Your lives are made on purpose. Fulfill the purpose. Accept Him as Savior. Then live for Him as your Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you for its input into our lives. We pray that we would be encouraged to live a life that glorifies you. You've come into this world with a purpose. Your purpose is perfect, your timing is perfect, and help us to realize that. And, and don't allow us to fall into the, the thing that we say so often when things aren't going our way. Help us not to say, well, this is really poor timing. Help us to let us see that our lives are in your hands and that are running by your time schedule and for your purposes. We pray this in
4: Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please rise and join us in singing Hark the Herald Angels Sing.